What's going on, everybody, and welcome to yet another installment of Open Run presented by War Media. My name is Gabriel Wilkins, and I'm coming to you in the place to be yet once again beside my colleague and co-host, Josh Hicks, to talk on all things hoop-related at the top of another week in the books. Blockbuster surprise news story lead to a bizarre trade over this past weekend that took place since we last had the chance to talk. We're going to get into that momentarily. But outside of that, man, how are you? Man, I'm good. I'm hyped. We're almost down to the trade deadline. So I'm just, I'm, I'm expecting some, I'm eating my popcorn, expecting some fireworks. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. And in this week's edition of Open Run, me and Josh will highlight the major headline that broke during the latter portion of last week pertaining to an all-star point guard whose wishes became shared with the public and ended up granted unto him by week's end. On top of sharing our general thoughts on the unveiling of 14 players selected as the reserves in the East and West for this year's all-star festivities out in Salt Lake City, prior to wrapping up our buyers and sellers series as the trade deadline, as Josh discussed, comes to a close later on this week. But before we take the time to get into all of that, let's open things up as we always do on Open Run. Paying respect to the game's best for joining some elite company on the way to etching their name in the history books over the past several days in our Hoop Shoutout segment. Special kudos go out to Denver Nuggets All-Star Center Nikola Jokic for becoming one of only seven players ever in league history to post back-to-back games with 20-plus points 10-plus rebounds, and 15-plus assists, joining the likes of Oscar Robinson, Magic Johnson, Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, James Harden, and Luka Doncic in that exclusive club, as well as Lakers forward LeBron James, who currently stands just 36 points away from surpassing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the all-time leading scorer in the NBA for passing Hall of Fame point guard Steve Nash for fourth place on the NBA's all-time assist leaderboard, in addition to Dallas Mavs all-star guard Luka Doncic for becoming just the third man ever in the last 50 years to record at least five or more games with 50 points or more through his first five seasons in the league, joining only LeBron and Michael Jordan in the following pantheon. So after getting all of that out of the way, what are some of the top storylines, moves, or on-the-court exploits outside of that trade that we're going to get into momentarily that have caught your eye around the basketball world that deserves further discussion to you, Josh? Man, uh, I'm going to be completely honest with you. It's really just that it's really that trade or trade deadline talk that is also compared with all-star selections of people not getting selected the snubs that's really what took over the, the headlines for me okay and you know and we're gonna and obviously we're gonna talk about those later on in the show so i'll save my two cents for later but just know that there's some very intriguing things that came to my mind that will be that will eventually be discussed oh for sure for for me it, it was some storylines that that caught my eye one of which was an nba investigation of a post-game altercation between people in John Morant's camp and those within the Pacers organization following a game that happened a week before last out in Memphis. Members who were part of Indiana's 
traveling party stated that someone in the SUV that Moran rode in shined a red, he shined a red laser at them and perceived it to be a gun. Yet the league said it couldn't corroborate that any individual was threatened with any weapon per reports that came about in the athletic. Now, the reason why I brought this topic up, I know it didn't involve John Morant directly, but mm -hmm. it was with within those who were associates in his camp. I bring this up because Memphis been in a lot of stuff lately. We talked about it a couple weeks ago with the incident with Shannon Sharp and Dylan Brooks. And then when you have this report coming on the back burner after the, the little, you know, scuffle that Dylan Brooks had with Donovan Mitchell mm -hmm. after trying to throw Spider a low blow on a drive to the rim and chirping back and forth with him all night and Spider didn't take too kindly to that. And I understand. You got to wonder what's going on in Memphis to where guys are taking stuff a bit too far. I understand they're a young team, new kids on the block. They want to stick it to the, you know, top dogs in the league, rightfully so. But it's getting out of line a little bit. And I think guys going to have to start watching their circles. And, it's, and I, I can't help but wonder, where is a veteran when you need them? Be it a veteran coach, be it a veteran player, because you got to do a better job as an organization of handling your young talent and providing them with guidance to be successful off of the court just as much as they are overall on the court with you know, all the tools that they need to be the best athletes in the world in which they have. John Morant got a lot going for him right now. Just secured his, I believe, second all-star appearance mm -hmm. in a row. He also has a, a signature shoe deal with Nike. Anything that the establishment can find to nail you to the cross, they'll do it. My message to Ja and anybody in his camp, his father included, pay attention to that. The guy that you modeled your game after, Allen Iverson, he has some testimonies that he could share about that. Stephon Marbury, he has some testimonies in which he could share about that. It's getting too far. Trace McGrady said that that was a situation to monitor prior to the conclusion of last season going into this year, just basing it off of what he was seeing on guys' social media and so forth. And I kind of downplayed it. I was like, you know, just the young dudes talking, you know, that's what they do. That's what we do. But it's going too far. And, it, and somebody got to find a way to reel the troops in and be like, hey, are we going to be basketball players? Or are we going to take this to the street? Let's not give the establishment any further things in which they need to go about promoting the agendas in which they want to. Got to watch how we move. Got to watch the people that we keep in our circles. And while I know that Jai wasn't the one directly doing it, 
you got to start watching your circle tightly. I've heard far too many ball players. I know too many ball players who will tell you the same thing. Some of them are stars. Some of them are guys that had every opportunity to be a star, but because they didn't keep the off the court shit away from the on the court stuff, they could never reach the league. So just keep that in mind. As far as on the court, I'm going to show love to Cam Thomas. Yeah. Posted a career high 44 off the bench on the way to a 16 for 23 shoot night from the floor, adding six rebounds and five assists to help the Nets go about erasing a 23-point deficit to come back and defeat the Washington Wizards in impressive fashion without Ben Simmons, TJ Warren, and Kevin Durant over the weekend. He just became the third youngest player ever in NBA history to score 40-plus points off the bench, and he only needed 29 minutes excuse me, of floor time just to do it. He did a real nice job, man, of utilizing them screens set by Nick Claxton to go about attacking the bigs and getting downhill off of those pick and roll switches. And you know about that side step three that he like on the left wing. He been shooting that since he was at Oak Hill. Got him with that a couple of times. Showed that he's a very elite level playmaker when he wants to be. And I think that was a real positive sign to see, especially for someone who hasn't been able to find steady minutes in the league mm -hmm. since coming out of LSU. And on top of that, not only not being able to find steady minutes, but just being a true pro. And I respect guys who are in those type of situations who when they number is called on, they can do whatever the team needs for them to do in order to maximize not only they value, but they help the team. And he said in the press conference, I've been known that I could do this at a high level. Every team I've been on, I was asked to score. When I came here, I wasn't. You know, we talked about how Steve Nash, when he was there, should have been playing no more. Yep. Well, I, I think after what's transpired over the, the last couple of days, we're going to start seeing Cam Thomas get some more minutes in Brooklyn. And rightfully so. Because I feel as though he's earned it. And he's put he's put the work in and, and he stepped up when his name was called. And that's what being a true professional is all about. A lot of guys can learn from a performance like that. And if you look at his per 36 numbers, I think he's averaging like 20 and five. So imagine what he could do when he has more minutes extended unto him under Jock Vaughn. He showed glimpses of this in the past even had a similar performance like this last year, helping them overcome a double-digit deficit to pull out a win in the Garden against the Knicks. To see him continuing to build off of his success in spite of his lack of playing time, it just goes to show you how much of a true professional he's already become in only his second year, and I can't wait to see how far he goes moving forward, whether he's in a six-man role or as a starter. Because, in my opinion, Cam Thomas has a place in this league. Oh, I completely agree with you, man. Especially since Jacques Vaughn was really the one that opened up the door for Cam Thomas to get a lot of playing time. Especially in the early moments of the season when the team wasn't even doing that well. Um, he Cam Thomas came out and performed when when the when the opportunities were given to him, and he took advantage of it. And for him to continue to continue that, that's just a, another testament to not, like you said, not just to him who he is as a person, as a pro, and his game, but to the trust and belief that Jock Vaughn saw something in Cam that Steve Nash clearly didn't. And that's the dip, that's part of the difference as to why Brooklyn was successful 
after the transition, the head coaching transition. So that's very, that's, you know, hey, kudos to Cam Thomas, but also kudos to Jacques Vaughn for putting him in situations where he can exploit that and get the best out of Cam Thomas in those moments. And just real briefly going back to the John Moran situation, because um, I completely forgot about that. That's a very uh, big situation that did take place. The, the, the one thing that you hit everything, which is spot on, but the one thing I want to add to it is John, John Morant's a father now. Like, you have a daughter. The fact that this stuff is continuing and you have a daughter at your house is already a problem. That should never have to be the case. You taking care of a, you have a family now. It's not like you, you know, you're not, it's not like you're a, yeah, you might be a single brother, but you have someone to look after now that's in your care. That's real. That be coming to these games and seeing how you have to perform a lot of times. So you have to be setting, you have to set that example for your daughter as you are raising her. That's your responsibility. You can't do that when you have, like you, like you mentioned, the circles and crews around you that lead that are street like and not moving forward to a better future for yourself and what you have positioned yourself and your family for. You can't risk that. So yeah, I agree. Circles do have to change, but let's not let's not forget the fact that he is also responsible for raising a child of his. And that is something very important that not just for any man, but a father specifically. That's very important when it comes to you raising a family and the way you want your family and your seed specifically to succeed. That matters. Yeah. And you know, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because what it what it really shows is that it's not about you. You know, we talk about the name on the front of the jersey, but you also represent the name on the back. And when mm -hmm. you represent the name on the back, you represent your people. And I understand wanting to put on for where you come from. You know, I I love my neighborhood too. I love I love my city too. I, I always try to rep wherever I go, but it's some things that you can take with you, and it's some things that you can't. Right. And someone needs to, in my opinion, whether within the Grizzlies organization, that's a former player or even a league-wide who's been on job level need to come to him and be like, hey, look, you need to figure out what it is that you want to do. Because if you're not careful, they will and can use anything against you in which they aspire to to try and derail your career, even if you're not guilty, as we know sometimes. And it's unfortunate, but it's the truth. They love to paint you and, and portray you as guilty by your association. Yep. And even though his mans got banned for a year from the home games, I somebody got to talk to him about it. Somebody do it. If, if his dad can't do it, somebody needs to, to do so. And that's where, in my opinion, a vet come in. Mm -hmm. And you got to just learn how to deal with the noise, man. That just come with being a professional athlete. Fans going to talk trash. Spectators going to talk trash. As long as it's not coming down to, like, personal lines, where you saying stuff, where you attacking like my character or whatever, unjust. You just got to play through some of it sometime. I know it's not easy. I know guys that's been through it, but you got to find something to lean to 
in order for your career to progress because there's nothing more that I would hate to see than somebody who is as young as Jai is to see his career get derailed by the same things in which I saw so many of my favorite athletes before Jai get theirs derailed for and have openly discussed how you don't want to go down the routes in which they went so you don't end up where they were or where they have ended up at, you know, in retirement. But I want to segue away from all of the stories and on-court exploits that caught our eye within the last week to discuss the biggest story to hit the NBA news cycle over the last 72 hours involving eight-time NBA all-star point guard Kyrie Irving, who suddenly requested a trade from the Nets prior to the conclusion of last week after failing to reach an agreement with Brooklyn on a new max contract extension, as the 30-year-old would soon have his request granted just days later. Irving, who recently set a Nets franchise record with six straight games with at least 30 points or more last month, was shipped out to the Dallas Mavs with Marquis Morris in exchange for Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, and an unprotected 2029 first round pick to go with two second round picks in 2027 and 2029. Irvin is now set to join Luka Doncic in what is expected to be one of the league's top backcourt duos down in the Lone Star State the rest of the way. My thoughts on this trade, man, when I, when I first heard that Kyrie was requesting a trade, from a basketball standpoint, I couldn't understand. You know, I'm like, you're on a team that's top four in the East. You've been doing your thing. You're one of the top scorers in the fourth quarter across the league. You give it to Aaron Fox a run for his money for clutch player of the year. And all of a sudden, you want out? What's really going on? Got to be something that's business related. Once I saw that Dallas was in talks with the Nets, I could see that, but I didn't see it happening. Because when I pay attention to the way in which Mark Cuban moves, he doesn't move like Mark Cuban in his younger days during the early 2000s with the Mavs, where he just was spending money, giving guys like Ray LaFrance over $100 million and stuff like that. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see that happening. I didn't see that happening. But started to think a little bit. Has relationships with Nico Harrison dating back to Nike basketball. Had Jason Kidd vouching for him. Luka Doncic vouching for him. It also allowed the Mavericks to take a calculated risk. You get Irvin, and by doing so, you clear up cap space for the future. So it's kind of like an investment on Shark Tank. <laughs> you know, let's we we gonna roll the dice. We gonna we gonna we gonna invest in this. We gonna see what happens. If it, if it come up a seven, cool. If not, we can hey we can revisit the situation in the summer. Say hey, we either want to give you this max extension or this short term max extension, or we can part ways. Either way, merchandise gonna get sold. Fans gonna be it. American Airlines in the Metroplex and NBA fans going to be in for a treat 
offensively if <laughs> Luka Doncic is willing to play off of the ball. But I'm gonna pass it to you, Josh, to get your 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 thoughts on it, man. Cause this 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 is a nice pairing offensively, even though I do worry about how this team will fare defense. Oh, of course. You got to have anything with Kyrie Irving and defense. You have to have question marks on. That's just a given. Um, but like you said, this can work if Luka's willing to play off the ball and there is a decisive priority list on who gets the ball late in clutch moments. Yeah. Because Luka has always been the guy for Dallas. And we know Kyrie Irving already got the clutch gene in him. That's that's noted. So depending on how they play late in game in late game situations, you know that's going to determine. You know, I want to I want to see how that works because the only time Kyrie really has done that is with with, with what he did with Kevin Durant. He knew Kevin Durant was going to be the closer over there. So and Bron, and Bron, yeah, he didn't know. He, I mean, he already knew those things. So. Going to Dallas, I wonder if he does know that Luca Lasser right now is that guy to close it, and if he's cool with that. Now, I think he can be, because yes, we talk about you talked about uh, his connection with Nike and how that's in the front office right now, and how Mark Cuban is a well-respected owner in the league to where from a, especially with the when it comes to players. But the underlining thing, the uh, person that's going to make this work is Jason Kidd. Because we have to remember, Kyrie Irving grew up watching Jason Kidd. Watching Jason Kidd play in the New York, New, in the New Jersey Nets uniform was the reason why he wanted to play for the Nets in the first place. He has a lot of respect for Jason Kidd as a point guard and as a coach. And he made that very public. So knowing that Jason Kidd is there, that's a good chance of potentially having that long-term option. And like you said, for Dallas, if it doesn't work out long term, great. You still got free up, you got free cap space. With moves you can still make when you talk about, you know, the Tim Hardaway Juniors of the world, uh, of potentially uh training him to boost your your roster and such. So it's it's a possible opportunity, and it's a good opportunity for the Nets as well, because you got you ain't gotta worry about Kyrie anymore. You kind of and even though you're still competing right now. The future is gonna look is looking a little skim when you talk about what's gonna happen next with Kevin Durant. That's what I, that's what came to my mind when this whole trade thing really went down. Kyrie, Kyrie, okay, great, he's gone. But when you think about it, the story of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and the Brooklyn Nets as a whole has been a fiasco, and the reason why is obviously. Kyrie Irving just sometimes just shoots himself in the foot way too much. But at the same time, he's not the only one to put in a trade request. You had James Harden that put in a trade request. And you had Kevin Durant put in a trade request. You don't think Kevin Durant's going to go back to that trade request now? Now, now that James Harden and Kyrie Irving is gone? Kyrie Irving is the reason why KD even decided to come to Brooklyn. And Let's be serious. Kevin Durant also has issues with that front office. And he's made yeah. that very clear. So knowing that Kyrie Irving now is, and let's be honest too, Kyrie Irving never really actually got what he wanted. He wanted out, but he really wanted to go to the Lakers. Joe you know, Biden, 
And I'm glad you brought that up real quick because, you know, the Lakers put their first round pick in 2027 and 2029 up for the Nets to have alongside of Russell Westbrook, according to Bleacher Report's Chris Haynes. Although it was said that the Nets went about upping the price, asking them to include a series of pick swaps, Max Christie and Austin Reeves on top of their original offer to acquire Irvin prior to the Lakers backing out. Do you think the Nets operated in good faith when it came to moving Kyrie? Because in my opinion, I don't believe that they did. And while a lot of people like to sit here and say, well, I can't blame him or Kyrie's a head case. Let's be real. We know that Kyrie has his ways. We're not saying that Kyrie Irving is perfect. But the energy and the disdain towards him, like Jay Williams was saying in first take yep. at the top of this week, it seemed a little extra. It seems a little spicy. I don't personally think that Joe Sy operated in good faith when it came to moving Kyrie. And I honestly believe free agents or future free agents need to be beware of Brooklyn. What do you think? No, I, I completely agree. And this is part of why Kevin Durant made his trade request. Because he knew Joe Sy wasn't moving in operation of what's best for this franchise. And so this is a, this is a prime example. Kyrie Irving has been the poster child for the league in a lot of ways, especially this year when you talk about the anti-Semitic comments um, and, and, and things of that sort. So because the Nets knew this and have dealt with this for so long, they weren't, they, they weren't going to give Kyrie his best interest. They were going to say, no, we're going to take you where we're going to take you because you, you, you've been our headache long enough. We're tired of this. Mm-hmm. And even though, if you want to go compare it to other trades and stuff like that, and where their agenda really was, they did ultimately get what they wanted, but it's still it's not a help to Kyrie considering that you know he wanted to make he wanted to go somewhere where he could actually pretty much win and play around people that he wanted to play along with that he know would work. He know playing with LeBron would work, but. Yeah, Joe Sy didn't give they didn't they didn't operate in good faith. This trade was a screw you, Kyrie. <laughs> this was literally like, nah, screw you. I agree. You want it, you want it out, you want it out. You're, you've been a headache ever since you got here. All the different everything going on. You know, and now you want to say you want out. All right, no, screw y'all. Screw you. We're done. But that's gonna come back to bite Brooklyn in the butt. Because Kevin Durant sees that. And they say, oh, Kevin Durant was blindsided by all this. No, he wasn't. And I can tell you why he wasn't, because Kevin Durant was the reason was the first person to put the trade request in before Kyrie did. That That's should true. tell you something right there that he knew something was up prior to Kyrie Irving eventually signing in and opting into his deal for this year and making that and then eventually where he at right now where they can't get an extension and he wants out. That's Kevin true. Durant knew something was up, so because of that. Oh, I expect Kevin Durant at the end of the season. Trade request. I want out. Because the reason why I came here is not being fulfilled. And you're not operating in the best interest. And what I'm pretty sure he feels is the best interest. Especially since Kyrie and KD are best friends. I'm sure they've talked about this before. They've been talking about this 
since the summer. So don't let's not get it twisted in that like, oh, the Nets are doing what's best because Kyrie's the headache. They forgot they got a whole other franchise player, even though he's locked in long term. He's still the top three best player in the league. He still had moves needles. And they and, and, and keeping him happy right now has been a struggle. There's a disconnect somewhere. So we got to stop looking at everything being. Hey, there's a front office that's made decisions. There's a way a front office is moving. Yeah. That does not. Is that that is not being well received in good taste to the franchise players of these of this franchise. And that's not just one, but two players. Now they have gotten rid of that was part of that franchise core from an all-star superstar perspective. That's two of them now. That's been gone over the past within the past couple of years. So yeah, there's some red flags, but you gotta start. We gotta start looking at Josiah in that front office now more than we gotta look at a lot of these players because the disconnect is clearly there, and it's just only all this trade did was pretty much expound on it that much more. And I'd encourage people also to look into Josiah's background. I understand he's done a lot of good with the WNBA and the Liberty. The Liberty you know, making sure that players in the WNBA get taken care of on charter flights and whatnot. But with all due respect, when you're the owner of a professional sports franchise, that's your job. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. can't really give you too much credit for that. And, and it's funny how we as fans, we always love to chastise players. But I challenge every fan that listens to our show, if you root for a team, make sure you know who the owner is. Read up on them. His business background, how he moved, everything. You can learn a lot about why they operate the way that they do in certain channels regard regarding the NBA, as well as within business matters pertaining to outside things besides basketball as well. You you learn a hell of a lot about them. But I want to move on. And from the story of last weekend across NBA channels to discuss things on another hoops related front within the WNBA where free agency opened up with a bang from the onset four time all-star floor general and point guard Courtney Vandersloot is now a member of the New York Liberty joining forces with Brianna Stewart, who also announced that she will be joining the New York Liberty as well. Spurning, the Seattle Storm is the two all-stars are seeking to pair up with Sabrina Ionescu and John Quayle Jones to basically construct a fearsome four in the Big Apple. But with that said, to discuss these matters in our special edition WNBA free agency segment, me and Josh have the distinct pleasure this week of being joined by the following guests on Open Run for the first time, a guy who is no stranger when it comes to speaking on things surrounding the WNBA and covers the Chicago sky for outlets such as the Next Hoops and the Chicago Tribune, on top of also serving as the co-host of the Skyhook podcast beside our good friend at War Media, Chris Pennant. He goes by the name of James K. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on our show to discuss these affairs surrounding the W, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you again, Jordan. It's been a while. 
<laughs> oh yeah, big time. It's big time here. This this is big time. <laughs> they treat him right with the sky boy. He he he, he get all, he get everything. That's the boss uh, right there. I can imagine. I've read his work, man. It, it, it's it's been fun to to to, to read and, and and to see you know your coverage on the skies. Someone that's really learning about the WNBA more and more business wise, and even on the floor as I go, I I kept up with it casually, and and, and I still try to you know read up on as much as I can and you you provide some real good insight and, and, and nice work. So it's glad that it's great to have you on. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, you know, I when I started covering the W, there wasn't a lot of reporting on it. And mm -hmm. one of my goals was to make sure that anyone who was coming in a little bit later on after me would be able to jump in a little bit easier. So that really does mean a lot. I appreciate it. No problem. So, so we know that the sky's all-time leader in minutes played, steals, and assists, and Courtney Vandersloot is now gone. She penned a, a farewell letter prior to her making her move to New York to the fans, thanking Sky fans for 12 years of, of dedication and, and, and commitment to her and her game as we watched her grow in the city. Alongside of Candace Parker, both are now in New York and Las Vegas, respectively, Azura Stevens who is also a free agency, no longer a member of the Sky. She's with the Los Angeles Sparks. Allie Quigley has announced that she's sitting out the entirety of the 2023 WNBA season. Emma Mieseman's future is up in the air. Kalia Copper's the only returning starter from that championship squad two years ago with Dana Evans as well. Where do you believe the Sky go moving forward as a franchise? And what do you believe that head coach and GM James Wade and his intentions are moving forward to retool a roster that was just several months ago vying for back-to-back -back WNBA titles. I think one of the things that's lost in the discourse with the Chicago Sky, especially like coming into this free agency period, was they really invested in the last two years. It was all about Candace Parker signing that two-year deal and maximizing that championship window that they had with her. And, and not just her, I mean, Courtney Vandersloot, Allie Quigley, I mean, the names that they've lost, I mean, you named them all. I mean, they're, those are some significant subtractions right there. And in terms of where the sky go from here, I mean, they are going to have to rebuild a little bit, which is going to be hard when you have someone like Kalia Copper, who's turned herself into one of the best two-way players in the WNBA. And I haven't necessarily been too ecstatic about who they've signed necessarily from a production standpoint. I really like Isabel Harrison, someone who really shows a lot of grit, but doesn't, but she's a big who doesn't shoot threes, which is kind of a prerequisite for James Wade's offense. You have someone like Courtney Williams who just had a, a really, she struggled offensively last year. She was kind of thrust into a role. She wasn't really expected to have to, retained throughout the entire season and Elizabeth Williams is a great signing I'll give them that but you go from having three former finals MVPs you have Allie Quigley one of the greatest shooters of all time you have Courtney Vandersloot who when it's all said and done could be the best facilitator in WNBA history you go from that to this area where it's just a lot of unknown for people who haven't who have been following the team for a long time so they're going to be retooling for sure. It is a borderline rebuild, but when you have Kalia Copper on a one-year deal, you kind of have to fo be focusing more on retooling than just rebuilding. 
And you you bring up the the signings that they made in the wake of the following changes, signing Courtney and Elizabeth Williams alongside of Isabel Harrison thus far in free agency. What can fans expect to see from these three acquisitions in regards to helping the sky try and stay within some form of relevancy in the WNBA? after being among the top of the top, as you alluded to over the last couple of years. You know, it's so funny. I'm such a, I'm such a stats guy, but I have moved away from that, especially over this last year when you just, the eye test says it all for me when it comes to Isabel Harrison and Courtney Williams, Courtney Williams, just one of the least efficient shooters in the WNBA last season mm-hmm. had one of the worst three game or yeah, three game stretches in playoffs last year against Dallas. And then I put it out there like, look, you can't count Courtney Williams out. I put that out on Twitter. I had a bunch of people, these stat nerds coming back at me with that whole being like, no, 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 Courtney Williams. She just doesn't have it. And she showed when she had like, again, when the stakes are on the line, Courtney Williams can step up and get you a bucket. We saw that she's one of the reasons why the sun were able to complete that comeback last year against the sky when yeah. they were down 2-1, they should not have come out of that series. And the reason they did is one of the reasons is Courtney Williams being able to score. Elizabeth Williams just does a little bit of everything. She kind of got, I wouldn't say buried on the depth chart, but she's just someone that went from being, I think she led. The, she was in the top five in blocks at the rim in 2021, took as kind of a secondary role with the Mystics last year, but now she's going to be coming in probably as a starter. So, I think that those are exciting sightings. If again, just of like keeping the spirit of winning alive a little bit here in Chicago, a little bit, but it's hard going from again, being a 26 and 10 team being that tied for the best record in the WNBA being on the brink of another finals appearance to now just being in this area where they could potentially not make the playoffs like next year. Like, I don't think that's necessarily out of question based on how the roster is starting to shape up. So would it be safe to say, just based on what you're saying, if you're someone looking at this from the perspective of a Chicago Sky fan, that this is a team that could possibly find themselves in the sweepstakes come 2024 for the services of Iowa guard Caitlin Clark? Because when I when I and I when I really think about it. And I and I see these numbers across Twitter and I see the, the videos. To me, that that's what it seems like when you talk about a, a rebuild, and then you also bring up the fact that Kalia Copper only has one year left on her contract. You know, it it, it I can't help but wonder whether or not I'm looking at a at a true seller at some point in the near future. So the way that the WNBA draft is set up is that it's, it's honestly, I really wish the NBA would adopt this. Um, it's it's a cumulative record over the last two seasons is how the draft odds are set up. So the okay. Sky were 26 and 10 last year, one of the best records in the W. If they go like 20 and 20 and the Indiana Fever suck and like, um, I don't know, like uh, they, or no, if, if the Indiana Fever, let's just say were to be successful and the Sky were kind of the middle there's still a chance the fever would still have better odds than the sky the next year, just because they're draft, like they're 
they only won 12 games over the last two seasons. So they wouldn't, I don't think they're necessarily in the running for uh, Caitlin Clark, but just to keep it local, maybe they could be in the running for Anissa Moro, who, who knows? Uh, yeah, Josh, I know. I knew that DePaul, was going to excite yeah, you. Uh, DePaul, um, uh, DePaul, uh, <laughs> yay. Oh. <laughs> Come I on, Anissa, Come home. Simeon I, Grant. I mean, I can't tell you how I, I've covered her in high school. So just to be able mm-hmm. to see her high school, college pro, I mean, that would be a dream for me covering the team. But I do think, though, that the sky are going to try to take this next summer to try to convince Kalia Copper, hey, this is the place you want to be long term. And the way you do that is by winning. They have this number five pick in the upcoming draft where I think they can go in so many different directions or they could try to use it and try to maybe leapfrog a little bit higher. This is a very top heavy draft. So I just think that it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that number five pick. Or they maybe they just might go full on rebuild and then just again try to sell Ka, who can sign more money in Chicago than she would anywhere else after her contract's up. And maybe they go from there. But again, it's it's not the sunniest disposition from 2023 for the Chicago Sky. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. And you, you talk about how they have the number five overall pick in the draft. Who are some players that you believe that fans here in Chicago that go to Sky Games should have their eyes on come tournament time and look at as a prospect that maybe James Wade and his front office staff may have their eyes on. I guess I'm also going to put this out there too. Anyone who says they know what James Wade and the Chicago Sky are going to do with that number five pick, that's the number one person you do not want to trust with any Sky News. That guy, <laughs> even after drafts, even the year before, I've tried to be like, what did you think of that player? He's like, oh, nope, not even going to go there. So I have no idea what the Sky are thinking of in that regard. I don't think anybody does instead, outside of um, instead, outside of the people inside the organization. But someone that I think intrigues me more than I think a lot of other people is Grace Berger out of Indiana. She's someone who, again, not the greatest three-point shooter. I think she probably hovers around that 33%. So it makes it maybe a little less ideal for her in the backcourt. Or even like, she's like, I don't know, two, three, whatever you want, who cares about positions anymore. But she is someone that is a dog, man. I mean, like she's someone that guards so well. She just does a little bit of everything very well like I would again like I don't think there's necessarily one thing she's like excels at but I think that's a part of like the rebuild process is that you can find someone who has their ceiling is so high and their floor quite honestly is so high that either they end up being a rotation player for you maybe come come off the bench a little bit or again I think that she's someone that can be a, a really good guard in this league getting her at number five I think would be a reach but if you like a player, I don't think there's such thing as reaching. I think we've seen that many times in the NBA circle. Like, hey, if you want someone, go and get them, you know? I'm really high in Grace Berger. I would love to see her in a Chicago Sky uniform. That's definitely a name that I have to keep in mind and, and make sure I watch a lot closely as college basketball season enters into March soon within the next several weeks. Yeah. But over the last couple of weeks, we've begun to see a shift in the balance of power in the WNBA. 
as all-star players are teaming up with fellow peers to build these super teams in a fashion that we witnessed NBA all-stars do within the previous decade. Is one would be, yeah, like pretty much. Yeah, like is one would be hard pressed to find a pair of teams in the W right now who look as great from a roster construction standpoint as the New York Liberty and the Las Vegas Aces. What do you make of that? Is someone that's covering the WNBA? And do you believe that that's just the current fad? Or is this a trend that's here to stay going forward? Because I can kind of understand Brianna Stewart wanting to go to New York with her being from the state of New York. And I can also understand Vandersloot wanting to play with Stewart, who she happens to share the same agent with. But when you have that on top of Candace Parker teaming up with Asia Wilson, Kelsey Plum, Jackie <laughs> on, on the Las Vegas Aces with Ooh. Becky Hammond, it's like you, you're looking at two teams that appear to be on a collision course to meet in the finals with one another come season in. It's like, how did this happen? It's incredible. It is one of the best things I think that could have happened to the WNBA this offseason is you have these two juggernauts and the aces were already, I thought they were going to be a, a good target for Ezra Stevens, just getting someone who can erase shots at the rim and dial it in from deep. <laughs> Upgrade from Kia Stokes, who was just a minus on the offensive end did really well on de like defensively. She's one of the reasons they were able to rebound defensively flowers thrown. Um, and to get Candace Parker, someone coming off an all WNBA first team selection, someone who still found a way to average like 14, eight and five in an era where, you know, I mean, they had like the star laden roster where they had just had to feed all these mouths and she's still putting up these numbers. I mean, she's someone, she's incredible. Like, I, like, it's not even, like, I can't stress this enough. It's not even the on-court stuff, guys. It is the off-the-court, her zen mentality. Someone who, when things start to go awry, Candace Parker brings everybody together as this, sick, like, I'm this assistant coach on the court. And all of your problems are just ameliorated. Like, it's it's just insane how Candace Parker is not only going to change this Aces team which did have its ups and downs last year like can't stress that enough they were able to make it through with a six person rotation but like to have Candace Parker on the court to like stabilize things like she is the ultimate stabilizer and I don't I actually think that the Aces are in a better place than the Liberty at this point um, and I think that if I still gambled um i would definitely put my money down on them because the liberty like they have the continuity like i don't know if you guys know this but courtney vandersloot actually played overseas ball with john quill jones and brianna stewart they've all played together mm. before they've won a championship together and the continuity aspect is gonna pick up immediately i don't have any questions about that to me it's all about how the other pieces fit and with the Aces, like, they already have four of their starters coming back, all All-Stars, um, and add their fourth former number one overall pick in Candace Parker into, the, into that starting lineup. Like, 
I think that they're going to be able to gel pretty quickly the same way that Candice was able to kind of get the team together in the second half of the season in 2021 for the sky. So it's great. It's, I must see entertainment across the board. So, so with all that said, is like, do you see this being a current fad or do you think that this trend is here to stay? So I do think the teams that invest in the resources, like mm-hmm. facilities for, um, I don't know, like food, like the sky didn't give their players, like they didn't provide players food after practice until this past season. Like the teams that are wow playing in the old WNBA versus the teams like the, the aces and Liberty who are playing in, who've changed and really uh, molded the new WNBA, which is like, no, we're going to invest so much into this because we want to win and it's professional basketball and they recognize what the WNBA is going to be, even though it's already a great product that millions of people watch. Like, I think the fad is going to be all these other owners looking around being like, shit, we actually, excuse me. I, I don't mean, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear in here, no, um, but, okay. you got it. <laughs> <laughs> but they're looking around being like, Oh no, we have to play catch up right now because Joe Sai and Mark Davis are super competitive when it comes to the W. So to me, that's where the trend is. It's okay. The teams who are investing are going to be successful. And the ones who are not are going to be left behind looking to sell because they're not going to be able to keep up. Interesting. Hey, Interesting. I'm not against that. I'm not against that at all. At the end of the day, if you're an owner, you, you should be able to do what owners do. And you know, that's just, that's just how that's that's how the ball rolls, man. And if you can't do it, you shouldn't be an owner. This is plain and simple. It's that simple. Like I see all these people on Twitter being like, "Oh, well, what about the parody of the WNBA?" It's like, no, just there, a stake has been risen to this high. All these other people have to go to that stake. You're not going to bring them back down because you're unwilling to push yourself and put these women in a position to be like successful, like. I it's it's blown my mind to see some of these takes about the parody being gone in the WNBA when this is only going to force teams to be more competitive in the next couple of years. And I'm glad you mentioned that, if you don't mind, Gabe. I'm glad no, you mentioned ahead. that because, uh, you know, that's always been the topic of discussion: how to improve the league, how to make the super the the players actually feel like professional athletes. And I believe I saw a report. That said, it's going to cost about fifteen million to twenty-five million dollars just to make sure every team has private jet service. That private everyone, every team in the WNBA can have that private charter life. And you know, you you've mentioned how people have had those takes, where it's like, oh, that that could be too much. I don't know how you could bring it together, but that's just from a private charter life. That's not including the facilities. That's not even including service in general. That's not including you know the other realms that the NBA doesn't have any issues with. Do you think that, especially now with this super team uh, trend that's taking place, is going to add that much more pressure for the league to change their ways in that realm of taking care of their players, not just from a private charter life, but everything across the board, which has been an issue for quite some time, especially since the bubble, when the WNBA really got exposed for the treatment of how they were treating their players. Do you think that's going to actually, this this, super, this new free agent super team era is going to help put a lot more pressure on making that much change in, in the league? <laughs> the league has felt that pressure a lot 
this past off season and just the things that you hear behind closed doors. It's just like, yeah, no, the league, <laughs> there's the expectation the players have for how they should be treated, the resources that they should get. And that's also different between teams. Like, you know, the sky do this thing where they talk with their players in the off season about what they need to add. Last year, they needed food massages after practice, new training, like, like uh, new trainers and all that stuff. That's a different situation for the Seattle storm or the New York Liberty who've been doing that because they've had a billionaire owner. So I think the league feels that pressure for sure. It does vary team to team, obviously. Like the sky, I think, feel it more than ever before. In terms of chartering, though, I mean, these are, again, professional athletes. You, you know, Are you going to, like, you could go on a flight to New York this summer and you might see Brianna Stewart and coach that her – however big she is six six frame all crouched together her fucking legs going up into her body like you can't and then play a game the next day it's like no if you want to be treated like a professional sports league you have to treat the players like they're professionals and put them in condition so they can excel that hasn't happened in the 26 years the WNBA has been in existence and that's a great point to to really think about and consider and it, it reminds me of like stories I've heard for former NBA players in the 80s when the league was yeah. like around its 35th anniversary or so where you had players flying commercial and as a result of that they weren't able to really maximize on a lot of things that guys now have the luxury of having you know, being able to fly privately and having your own team planes, that stuff does go a long way. And I think a lot of fans sometimes don't really recognize that. But I, I never even knew that about the sky and whatnot. And I appreciate you sharing that because that that does speak volumes. And, and, and taking care of your players, it does go a long way. I've read about it in, in the NBA with teams. Like I've heard Isaiah Thomas talk about with the Pistons, how they were the first ones to have their own plane in the league and how they mm -hmm. did so much for them. Wow. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's awesome. Was I didn't late, know that, that was in the late eighties. That's crazy actually. Cause I mean, the NBA was booming like what, seven, eight years before that too. So for them to just be getting chartered at the late eighties, that's uh, maybe we see Larry Bird's career end up being extended a little bit more if his back isn't messed up. Exactly. To fly around like that. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And that's why they had the 2-3-2 two, two format because they had to fly commercial. So that's why games three through five were always played in the city with the organization that didn't have home court advantage. Jesus Christ. And it's, funny how, it's funny how all this is being discussed because – you know, James, you and I have always had these conversations before <laughs> off off camera and everything about the importance of, you know, owners investing in their players. One of the ways that I think the WNBA really can do that is if they're talking expansion of WNBA teams, why don't you expand the ownership group from a player's perspective, put people that actually play mm -hmm. in the league and know what it takes on a day-to-day -day grind as like long as they that. have the money and the resources to help put them in those type of positions. We saw what the Atlanta dream did with Renee Montgomery, yeah. adding her uh, to the, to the ownership group. And I think the WNBA's next move is getting someone like a Candace Parker, who 
not only played in the league, but has resources considering her life off the court through endorsements and her TNT, uh, you know, her Turner deal and things of that sort to be a good representative that has respect, not just from the WNBA, but the NBA to be in an ownership group, especially for the WNBA to help create the change they want to see per se. Do you think that is something that as the WNBA continues to evolve, will really excel the process. So that way we don't have these same discussions anymore. We're just talk, we're, we're just continuously progressing each year with those expectations that those things are going to take place. It's so hard. I, I really thought that I was coming in at the right time when it came to the WNBA. And I do think there are just more hurdles that I didn't even recognize that, um, to me, I, I'll I'll just go back to the thing that we've a little we've already kind of touched on. The owners who already have the money that Candace Parker doesn't have, because again, it's not like she's making millions of dollars. I mean, she it's not like she was making millions of dollars each year since two thousand eight when she was drafted by the Sparks. To me, it's again the owners just have to step up. They have the money. Some of them own a WNBA team, not for the right reasons. I'm I am not going to get into that, um, but. I do think to me, it's all about current owners stepping up. And if they don't have the financial means to continue to invest then find somebody else that add them to ownership, whether that's a player or not, I think the Renee hire was great because you have someone who can be the face, someone who's so energetic and nice who, you know, did well in the WNBA that could potentially um, be your face of the franchise. But I don't, if in terms of the money, how about instead, Kevin Durant, I'm looking directly at you. How about instead of investing in a fucking pickleball league that you come and you invest in the WNBA instead? I Again, it doesn't even, like, I just think that when we see some of these bigger names, they talk about supporting the WNBA. And again, I think this is, I'm pointing directly at NBA players. Like, they show it up on sh- social media. They'll wear the jersey for a day. But then what are you actually doing to support the league? I just think that, the onus can't can always be on the women to improve their conditions. Like they shouldn't have to, they they should be able to make the money and just keep it instead of having to reinvest in the league that didn't put them in a position to succeed in the first place. And it's tough. I, I get it though, because again, you want to have people in the business that know what you go through. That is so important. I just think in terms of the resources aspect, it just has to come from people will have more power and see that this is a great business decision because it is like, it's, it's not even I don't even bring up morality when it comes to the WNBA and why people should watch it anymore. Mm-hmm. Millions of people do. It is a good business opportunity. They're going to get a new TV rights deal. You can buy a WNBA team right now. Holy shit. You better go out and try to do that because the price of it, you could get it at right now compared to down the line I mean, it's literally like the Celtics being someone trying to sell the Celtics for $75 million in like, what was it, like the early 80s or something like that? I, maybe it was I get what you're 80s. saying. I get what you're saying because the, the valuation of sports teams over time, they do go up. And while I can kind of understand maybe some hesitancy in regard to why some guys might invest because they may feel as though they're going to lose, if you come in together, it could be an opportunity that's worthwhile. I will say that the NBA team lose got, money. That's true. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying yeah, that they don't. You know? I'm. I'm not saying yeah. that they don't. But what I, I'm saying, 
if if guys came together and pulled their resources together, it could yeah. be an investment worthwhile. I get what you're saying. And, and, that, and that does make a lot of sense, especially when you talk about the fact that these WNBA teams aren't valued as highly as teams in the NBA are, which is over a billion at this mm-hmm. point. Well, yeah, I, I mean, just buy a team. Let's just go for yeah. it. I mean, we might as well. I mean, we, if we I get had the money, month, if I had the money, it. honestly, I would do it. I would do it. And I, I've talked yes. about this with my friends many times. Like, I, I've heard guys talk about G League teams as much, but a WNBA team would not be. I'm not saying it's a bad investment at all. And you're right. Because as the league does grow, these teams will be more expensive to buy. And as the TV deals come and as the interest continues to grow, which it has in the sport, and the ratings have gone up every year, then yeah, it's going to be harder to get. So if if you, if you want to get a WNBA team, I would say right now is a good time. And the WNBA is still in its infancy stages because I That's believe we're point, entering, yeah. what, year 27? This is year 27. And right. look at the NBA's trajectory. In the 80s, it was considered to drug-ridden, to black. I mean, to yep. um, the ratings were bad. The I think like the in terms of like how many seats they were selling i think like the the cleveland cavaliers had something crazy like they were only selling like 52 percent of the tickets like it was a mm-hmm. dire situation and then they brought in someone like david stern this business mind same way that the WNBA brought in kathy engelbert who has this business mind i think she there's a lot of criticism for kathy um that i do agree with i do think she's made some great decisions especially keeping the WNBA afloat when 2020 happened and Mm -hmm. um, the league was losing money left and right, like the trajectory, we can't compare the WNBA to the NBA now. And I'm not saying that's what you're doing, but like, I think a lot of people do where they're like, Oh, well, how can you say that Candace Parker deserves to make as much as John Morant? She's not, (laughs) she's asking for the same revenue share as John Morant gets from the NBA versus what the WNBA gets. And you know, that it, it's going to be something to monitor over the next couple of years to see how that changes, to see how the players position themselves for the next CBA and what they're going to be able to demand. I, I hope to, I hope we're not having the same conversations at that point, um, you know, but we'll see. You know, I, again, I like to focus on the on-court stuff because to me, that is where the gold mine of content is. It's this league's, I mean, this season's going to be so fun to see the Liberty and aces go at it while all these other teams, they're going to be competitive too. I mean, I don't, I don't, again, I don't see anybody, any other team beating the aces or Liberty in a five game playoff series, but it's going to be fun. No matter what, we're going to see some like two all time teams go after each other. I mean, I'm excited. So I'm buying a team. <laughs> so so before we let you go, James, I, I know you say you see the aces and Liberty and I understand why. Trust me, when I see the rosters, I, I I get it. But is there any dark horse that you could see maybe crashing apart? This is going to be kind of controversial, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, <laughs> I think the Washington Mystics mm, are okay. a really interesting team. They needed to add shooting, and they did not add any shooting whatsoever. But what they did was double down, triple down on their defensive identity. They brought in arguably the best guard, a defensive guard in the WNBA, Brittany Sykes. They 
hopefully we'll have Elena Deladon back all, all the way back. But um, well, they just acquired Amanda Zowie B, who might give them a little bit of stretchability at the four. But they really, again, they really doubled down on their defensive identity. And I'm just fascinated to see what a group of Natasha Cloud, Ariel Atkins, Brittany Sykes, um, Shakira Austin, and Elena Deladon, what that team is going to be able to do on the defensive end, because I don't know how teams are going to score. I mean, again, I do think the the aces are going to figure it out because they can't uh, put two people on the ball for every player on the floor uh, when you're the aces. You know, if you don't have 10 defenders, unfortunately, um, but what the Mystics are going to do, I think they're going to be I'm trying to think of like a really gritty defensive team in the NBA, like an old, like maybe so like, like the, the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah. In the you know, 2010s, the, uh, the grit and grind era. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like that okay. era or like the, that Pistons team that beat the Lakers. Like mm-hmm. they are just going to, they're going to slow the pace down and they are just going to what a let Elena Deladon dictate the offense. And then everyone else is going to just be, I mean, again, they have like, three of the best defensive guards in the WNBA. So I'm, it, I think that's my dark horse. I, I'll go with the Washington mystics. James, James real you. quickly. What about, what about Christy Tolliver? Didn't she just go back to the Whitney to the Washington mystics as well? Well, you don't think she's going to be as impactful as she can be knowing that she is a sniper like she, a three as well. She hasn't played that much over the last couple of years. And you know, I think that um, I don't think she ended up playing in that 2020 season. And in 2021, I think she got injured last year. I think she was like on and off the floor. I don't think that's not, like it's a big name, you know, actually former Sky player, <laughs> Christy mm-hmm. Tolliver, which is kind of crazy. She was drafted two years before Courtney Vandersloot. Um, yeah, she is. I'm intrigued by it. I mean, you had veteran leadership again, she can shoot the heck out of the ball, but not the same Christy Talbert from 2019 who helped the Mystics. I mean, an all-time great offense mm-hmm. on that Mystics team. Like, you know what? We don't have time to dip and dive into those stats, but like, oh my God, it's incredible. Like, it, you look at those numbers and compare it to some of the, like modern NBA offenses. It's like, holy crap. That was Elena Deladon's 50-40-90 season too. So it was pretty wild. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I remember that Washington team that captured the championship, and that's definitely a team you can't count out, especially with a healthy Elena Deladon, a former MVP, uh, a, a sky legend, really put the franchise on the map, if you if you ask me. But I, I definitely want to give thanks once again to James K for hopping on, discussing all of the latest surrounding the sky and the state of the WNBA in our special edition free agency segment here on Open Run. Make sure to check out the latest edition of the Skyhook podcast where James and our man Chris Pennant discuss the Sky's rocky opening, the free agency, Sloop's departure, and more, as well as his work on the writing side at the Next Hoops and the Chicago Tribune. We truly appreciate you dropping by, my man. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. And, uh, yeah, let me know when you guys need me. I'll have, always happy to talk about the Sky. So, yeah. Yep. See you on the sideline soon, brother. Absolutely. Can't wait. Those I got James K and I'm pushing the show along from our WNBA free agency conversation and the state of the sky back towards the NBA to highlight and discuss the 14 players who were selected to take part in this year's all-star game as reserves out in Salt Lake City 
by the head coaches in both the East and West as the official unveiling took place last week. Joining the starters in the player pool for Team LeBron and Team Giannis in the West are Paul George of the L.A. Clippers, Shea Gilgis Alexander and OKC, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Ja Morant for the Memphis Grizzlies, Damian Lillard in Portland, Laurie Markkinen, former Bull, going to be the hometown guy for the Utah Jazz in his first time as an All-Star, and DeMontis Sabonis for Sacramento while on the east side of things, Joel Embiid will be representing for the Philadelphia 76ers. Bam Adebayo for Miami. Julius Randle, New York. Jalen Brown, Boston. Tyrese Halliburton representing the Indiana Pacers in his first time All-Star appearance. Drew Holiday for the Milwaukee Bucks. And DeMar DeRozan representing the Bulls in his sixth All-Star appearance. So after hearing the name set to represent their respective conferences in the 72nd edition of the All-Star Game. What are your general thoughts? I know you said you thought it was some guys who got snubbed. I think it was some guys that got snubbed too. But before I share mine, I want to ask you, Josh, in your opinion, who got left out, bro? Who 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 who, who you got a gripe with for, for, for getting left off, man? Man, I got a gripe with, with, the, with how they handled this in general. Three guys should have been in this thing. Okay. You should have at least had Jalen Brunson. You should have had Darian Fox. And I mean, I'm I'm gonna go with those two for sure. I think Darius Garland should have been an option, but outside of that, for sure those two, because they're winning basketball, and they're the reasons why their teams are even staying afloat. I love Julius Randle, but Julius Randle wouldn't be where he had one for Jalen Brunson. That's just facts. So those obviously, those are guys that have been snubbed from the whole entire process. So you're, I'm not going to big too much about them because you already know how I feel about that. But one player that I do believe should have been on his all-star roster, that's James Harden. James Harden okay. got snubbed, bro. He got snubbed bad. How are you twenty averaging 22, 23 points a game? You're averaging 11 assists. You're leading the league in assists. And you are part of the reason why the Sixers are a top three team in the Eastern Conference. And you still don't make it? Like, what are we basing this stuff off of? Please help me. I'm clearly I'm blind right now. I cannot see where they're where they're putting all the emphasis when it comes to selecting these people because and, and that's what kind of irks me a little bit too now. Because at first it was at the fan, fan voting. That's over. This is media. This is coaches. These are people that actually have voter rights that are actually around the league. You telling me James Harden with everything he's done on top of the the winning that the Sixers have done, he can't get in over people that, quite frankly, no disrespect, great talent, but they're not winning as many games as the Sixers right now. Love Tyrese Halliburton, but last time I checked, we was comparing uh, winning. Tyrese Halliburton doesn't have the numbers that James Harden got right now, and he still made it. I ain't gonna say that one. I, I, he, I he, he averaged a 20 and 10. I do get your point for hard, though. I definitely get it. I do get it. I can't I, argue against that. Yeah, I, I, it, it's it's people like that where I'm like, eh. like what are, we ba- what are we basing this stuff off of? DeMar DeRozan's having a heck of a year. Great. Bulls is trash right now. <laughs> Bulls is trash. How did he get in there? Like, it, it's not like he's putting the top numbers like a Russell Westbrook did when he was averaging 30-point triple-double seasons. Like, 
It's not like that. Some of these guys are good, but they are so bad on teams. If we're and if we're prioritizing winning, my thing is if we're if we're doing that, reward the winning. They have the numbers, great, but reward the winning because clearly they're putting in the work for their teams to win game by game basis. Half of the, some of these people that are on this roster ain't winning. They're not winning. So if they're not winning, for me, you just wasting spots for people that really deserve it. I'm going to say this. I, I get the James Harden argument, and I want to add this point, too. Even though Tyrese Halliburton is leading the league in assists, mm -hmm. if James Harden played more games or qualified in the games play category, he would be the league leader in assists right now, which would mark the second time in his career that he would be the league leader in assists per game. So I, I'm not knocking your case for James Hart. Mm -hmm. Anytime you you put up 20 or 10, you're playing on a team that's a top three seed in the East, you have a case. I thought another guy that had a case among the guards was, was Trey Young. I yeah. understand that Trey Young is playing on a team that is currently, as we sit here today, I believe they're in the play-in range. As I pull up the, the 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 standings, and they are like they're in the playing range, but still, like anytime you putting up twenty seven and darn near ten, like you got to get in there. My issue was with Demar Derozan getting in, and I'm gonna tell you why. When I look at what Pascal Siakam is doing, and I understand coaches have votes, and they can only vote for two guards three front court players and two other players who play any position, which are basically wild card spots. I don't know how you average close to 25 and eight rebounds a night shooting 47% from the floor and don't make it. And oh, by the way, he averaged six assists a game. Pascal Siakam is really the focal point of Toronto's offense. Mm -hmm. And not to say that DeMar DeRozan is the focal point of the Bulls offense because he is, but I don't know how he got in over Pascal Siakam as a front court player. Because when I look at the two guards that were selected, they selected Halliburton and Drew Holiday. I can't knock the Drew Holiday pick because, yeah. to, to be fair, in, in the absence of Chris Middleton, he's been balling. He's been putting up some stellar numbers. And yeah. he's a guy who you could argue has been an all-star the last few seasons he just hasn't gotten his just due and this is the first time in 10 years that he'll be making an appearance in the all-star game but he's widely respected by his peers and as an all-star and i don't think milwaukee would have been in the top three without him but and not to mention too sorry to cut you yeah, off no, no go ahead not to mention you also put him in your top in your top five voting when we went when we first yeah. uh went through this you you said drew Holiday was gonna be your starting point guard so hey, well, yeah, initially, yeah, I did. Yeah, initially, yeah, so, in a way too early All Star prediction, I did say right, that. Right, right. So that, you called it. You called it. Yeah, but but over time, you know that 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 changed because I I I realized that I was leaving Donovan off, but I did believe that Drew would get in. So mm -hmm. that doesn't shock me. But in the East, my two biggest snubs, yeah, you, you could say were James Harden, Trey Young, and Pascal Siakam. You can mm -hmm. rank them however you want to rank them, but to me, those were the three biggest snubs. In the West, Paul George has been phenomenal when he's played. Right. However, 
Anthony Edwards yeah. has just as big of a gripe, in my opinion, as De'Aaron Fox. Yeah. And Jalen Brunson was another guy that I add as the snubs in the East, but just keeping it West-related, just pulling up Anthony Edwards' numbers as we speak. And I know he's played in over 50 games mm-hmm. because Anthony don't miss games. That's one thing we got to keep in mind. And he takes pride in playing. This dude is averaging in his third year in the league, a career high 25 points a night with six rebounds and nearly five assists. And oh, by the way, he's shooting 46% from the floor and he's played a big role in helping Minnesota elevate up in the Western Conference standings over the last month. I don't know how he didn't make it. I really don't. And for a guy that had a lot of questions about his ability to shoot the three ball, he's doing so with confidence. Mm-hmm. And he's looking like one of the best, what, what we call or consider is now to be a two-way player in the league. And I, I really think he had a legit case too. Oh, I, I completely agree. All these guys you've mentioned, they definitely make cases. I just, I for me, I just know for sure that James Harden one stood out the most. I, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom that one. That was, I was flabbergasted when I found out. I get it about, about that one. So that's the one that stood out to most. Trey Young definitely makes a case. I just think at this point, it's kind of baffling to me how if we're going to be media crit- uh, critics, if we're going to be people that watch the game daily, study the game daily and follow the game daily, and you supposedly make publicly known and and ride this wave of, when it comes to influencing your voting decisions, you focus on who's on impact in correlation with winning. I just don't see how some of these players got selected because they have one or the other. And one of it is, and mainly it is stats, which... We're not knocking the stats that they do. They're they're great. They are all-star stats. But there are levels to this, especially when we talk about from a progression perspective with the player and how it, it contributes to the team that's winning overall. We I'm combining everything. So if I'm combining all of that, some of these players should not be on this rock on the on an all-star game. That's just period. And we just talked about those guys. Some of these some and some people should be mentioned, but you just have to question. What's the real influence behind your vote? What's the real yeah. influence behind what is being selected from a criteria perspective to have certain players not just be all-star, not just get into the all-star game, but also be all-star starters? Because some of this stuff don't make sense, bro. Somebody's drinking something. Someone's on that yak. Somebody's on that <laughs> yak. It don't make sense to me, bro. I say we need to encourage them to drink some more water and then clear and be sober minded because I, I don't, it does not, I don't understand it. I don't get it. And I'm glad you bring that up because I've heard some media members when it came to voting for starters in this year's all-star game and even all-star games of recent past talk about how in some cases, they changed their vote based upon a game they were covering or whether or not they felt like 
a player did something in a one particular album that they didn't feel made them all-star worthy. And it kind of gets to like, well, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. And, and it can't get agenda-based, but in the cases of reserves, head coaches are the ones that are selecting these reserves. And you had a guy on Twitter by the name of Mo Docku. I believe he was a former scout in the league. He has a podcast on the athletic. He talked about how he's been in locker rooms and he's seen head coaches have X amount of minutes to vote for all-star starters. He basically said they don't really be concerned or prioritize with that because their mindset is more so geared upon who they got coming up for a given game on a given night of the week. Mm-hmm. And I bring that up to just highlight what I did earlier in the show where I said head coaches can only vote for two guards, three front court players, and two other players at any given position in what are considered as wild card selections in their respective conference. In an era where the talent across the league is deeper than it's ever been in receiving the honor can be the difference between a big payday or not, should the NBA consider expanding the all-star roster? I believe as though they should. And when I take Mo's comment into consideration, you might want to bring in a panel of former all-stars or players to vote on reserves as well. If coaches are in some way or form overlooking some guys, which we understand but we know it can't really afford to happen when these accolades can, in some cases, determine whether or not a guy get to the Hall of Fame or not. Yeah, it, it can't. They can't miss the mark this bad. Like that. That that's pretty much what it boils down to. I agree. Yeah, expand the roster. All we're doing is just playing. It's, it's entertainment until the fourth quarter, anyways. Like that's that's pretty much all it is. So let's. Let let the other three. I think it's currently twelve members on the on the team. Yep. Add another three spots each. Make it a full fifteen, just like any other team you would when it comes to you know rosters in the NBA. Why not? And let them highlight the the, the you know the facts of why they deserve to be all stars. Because at this point, the amount of snubs that's taking place, rightfully so, is kind of being a little it's a little disturbing. And I, we've already been critics of the whole fan voting process and how much of an intricate role that plays into some of these uh, votes and these snubs. But now it's literally trickling down to people that actually have credentials, like legit credentials to do this. And yeah, you are absolutely right. It is it is like that one vote away from a person getting a mass contract versus someone that isn't or someone that is, you know, that is getting that bonus versus someone that isn't. You know, it's that much of an incentive-based difference that could be that this type of event could be a difference maker for. That shouldn't be that shouldn't go unnoticed. And if you need to create another board or another selective group that can aid this process to where it's actually much more accurate and fair, then yeah, I'm all for it because. Too many players aren't getting the respect they deserve with the seasons they're performing, knowing that, let's be honest with you, they might not ever have seasons like this again. Yeah. They that that's that's really the that's really what what what, what the reality of life is for some of these players. As much as I love Jalen Brunson, I don't know if he's gonna have another season like he is this year. 
We talk about Laurie Markkinen, how he's an all-star this year. Great. If he didn't get selected this year, I don't know if he's going to get them same numbers next year. And if he does, it's not a guarantee that other stars around him are going to have even better numbers next year. Mm-hmm. These are This is literally like that. These, these, selections have been, these selections have been that poignant that you have to – you can't miss these just because. You can't just take five minutes out your day and, oh, okay, let's just fill this out and keep it moving. This is this is literally a serious situation that I don't want to say life or death, but it matters a lot to the trajectory of where these players are going and what their careers really can look like and not just on but off the court. So you need to figure out how you can make this a legit process compared to you just taking random time out your day to fill out some to fill some hole in the blank, some just to fill in some circles like you like you feeling like you're filling out a, a multiple choice test. Ain't nobody got time for that. And this is this is much more serious than what you know the way they're handling it handling it not just from coaches but from of our own media peers and that's just the facts. No, I agree, bro. Because I'm I can tell you right now if I had some votes for it, I'd be looking at this no differently than an election day ballot, bro. <laughs> I, I, I I tell you right now because. Like you, like you said, and I and I said, bringing up the question to you, this is affecting guys' pockets. And you brought up a good point. Some of these guys may never have the seasons that they're currently having in future seasons to come. And the first guy that came to my mind when you brought that up was Victor Oladipo during his years with the Indiana Pacers. Yeah. We didn't know that the injuries were coming. Mm-hmm. But we knew when we were watching him in Indiana that we were watching an all-star player and we bestowed that honor on him. And I take it a step further. You talk about how there are 12 players in each conference being represented in the West and the East. How about we go from 24 total players to 28? Expand the rosters. Expand the roster. That's all you got to do to 28 players, get four extra spots, give the coaches the the choice to select two guards, three players in the front court, and four players uh, regardless of position. And I think that would eliminate a lot of the fiascos that you see when it comes to guys getting snubbed left and right each and every year. You got to add more to the wild card picks to make it worth their while. Two two spots, not enough. It's not enough because that's how a guy like Jalen Brunson has to depend upon, unfortunately, somebody either getting hurt mm-hmm. or being unable to attend due to a, a personal matter or something that comes up and being approved by the commissioner's office to get in. I just think that's unfortunate. It, it really is. I feel you, man. It's I, I'm I'm still gonna watch it, but oh, of course, I'm still gonna watch it. But I'm sure gonna sit here like, ain't this some BS? <laughs> some of these Negroes, some of these brothers that are playing this game should have been in there. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna have my drinks sitting there, mad as heck about it. I ain't gonna lie. Hey, I'm man, enjoy it, but I'm gonna say some stuff too. You're not alone because I understand the the issues with Trey Young's camp, James Harden camp, because even James put up a. An Instagram story saying the disrespect. And mm-hmm. I know he feel a certain way about it. I understand. Yeah. 
And I, you know, people say, well, he been to 10 plus all-star games. They all count the same, man. They all count the same. Guys want to be a part of that event. And when they put the work in, you got to pay homage and you got to pay respect to them. But meanwhile, in other all-star weekend related news, Magic rookie forward Paulo Boncaro is set to headline the NBA's Rising Stars game directly alongside fellow peers and young players ranging from the likes of Benedict Matherin, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, Alperin Sengun, and Franz Wagner at All-Star Weekend, Josh Giddy, Jaden Ivey, Walker Kessler, Keegan Murray, and Scotty Barnes are also expected to compete in the event while projected 2023 NBA draft lottery pick and G League Ignite guard Scoot Henderson will be taking part in the Rising Stars game alongside other G League players such as Scottie Pippen Jr. and Kenneth Lofton Jr. of the Memphis Grizzlies who earned a spot in the festivities after finishing as one of the higher vote getters in G League All-Star voting as a member of the Memphis Hustle. The 21 NBA players who were picked will be drafted into three seven-player teams and play up against the best from the G League in a mini-style tournament format with all games being played toward a target score, where all four teams will get at least three games. Paul Gasol, Joakim Noah, and Darren Williams will serve as coaches for the three teams that feature NBA players, while Jason Terry will coach the G League team in the event Set to feature the top young players in the game today, set to air on Friday, February 17th at 8 p.m. Central Time on TNT. Josh, I got to ask you, what you looking forward to seeing in this year's Rising Stars event? And what are your thoughts, man, on a pair of former Bull All-Stars and Paul Gasol and Joakim Noah with the former Alana star and All-Star point guard himself and Darren Williams taking part in this event on the other side of things? besides a former six-man recipient and current Jazz assistant head coach, Jason Ajet Terry. Now, this is the game I'm going to watch the most. <laughs> Talking about All-Star Weekend, this is the one that's not going to be recorded. This is going to be the one I'm watching live. I got you. Because Paolo Vangelo, oh, Paolo, the, the amazing rookie year he having. Oh, my gosh. You get that. You get School Henderson, who not only could put on a show with his craftiness and his shiftiness and scoring the ball, but dude is a high flyer. In an event that is meant for entertainment, School Henderson is going to live up to the hype. But then you also got the other young guys that are coming up. Josh Giddies of the world. You know, those, those players are going to make their imprint on what this means. Jalen Green, he's going to be coming back. Like that, this year is going to be a year full of highlights. And I, and that's, you can't have it no any other way. And the facts, yeah, yes. You got former NBA players stepping up and coaching these young guys is also, a, a, I love the move. It's a great way for those former players to give back to the league and to its fan bases. Cause they, cause these players were, they were beloved players. Pau Gasol, not only, what he did with the Lakers to bring them championships. But one of the main reasons why Memphis was attractive at the time when he was playing in his prime. Joe Kim Noah, Bulls, you know, Chicago, that's Chicago loves that loves Joe Kim Noah. Fan love everywhere in the city, in the Windy City. That's a given. 
You talk about Darren Williams. You of I. Champagne Urbana, baby. And then, you know, not only what he did for that, but how you know, he made the Utah Jazz relevant again. Because he came in when Jazz was crap. And then, you know, what he did to help revive the Brooklyn Nets in that era. You know, what he gave to the game was special. Jason Terry. He's the, he, he, he finally got him an NBA title with the Dallas Mavericks. Helped bring, helped, was on that team that helped bring the first championship and was part of the first team to get the Mavericks to the NBA Finals before they when they lost to the Miami Heat. Yeah, that's he, right. He, he plays an intricate role in the success of these franchises. So it is a beautiful thing to see. I love it. I love the storylines and the headlines that's going into this. This is much see basketball entertainment is going to live up this this is the type of hype that we've had since probably john moran and zion williamson in the same game i was there for that i was there i was there i was there for that i know you talk about when it was here in chicago yes you had luca you had luca yes. in the building yes ice tray in the building that yeah that that was that was that was a nice event and i i remember I got some seats to the club level for that because I wanted to be in the building to see those guys because it was my first time ever seeing Zion and Ja live. Mm -hmm. And it was worth the price of admission. And, and to me, I the Rising Stars game, even dating back in the day when it was the rookie challenge, besides the three-point shootout, that was always my favorite event for All-Star yeah. Weekend. So to get a chance to go to one of those was cool. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well, especially when I see the two rookies or the two front runners for the Rookie of the Year Award and Paulo Boncaro and Benedict Matherin going toe-to-toe -to -toe against one another. Yeah. And we talk about Benedict Matherin being in the race for Rookie of the Year. He could become the first rookie since Ben Gordon did it with the Bulls to take home the six-man award. Yeah. With the way that he's been playing off of the bench out in Indy. So I, I like it. It's a nice collection of young talent. I think the fans in, in Salt Lake City are definitely in for a treat. And you bring up Scoot Henderson, who I had the chance to watch play on TV against Victor Wimbenyama earlier this year when his team from France came into the States. And man, he's looking like a future box office star. Mm. And I wish it was a way that they could interchange some of these G League players on the team with some of these NBA players because depending on where Orlando fall, if they get a top two pick again, they might be able to get Scoot Henderson. Yeah, Putting Scoot Henderson with Paulo Bancaro, I, I, I wish they was on the same team, man, because that would be a sight to see. But nonetheless, it's still going to be cool to watch because for fans that don't know who he is, they're going to get a chance to find out who he is. And I, I think this is a good stage for those young guys. And I like that the NBA is using the Rising Stars game now to showcase the young talent in the G League on top of what's already being featured in the NBA because it goes to show how the game is not only grown, but is in a great place with the collection of young talent that's in this game. Most definitely, man. It the only thing that I wish could happen for this year, imagine if they can somehow get Victor Wanabayu in this. 
you telling me you can have Victor want to buy you with Scoot Henderson, top two picks of this draft, going against Paulo Bancaro, going against Benedict Manton, like all those guys that we just talked about, the Jalen Greens, you know how much entertainment that's going to be? Man, if they bought Victor in from France, I'm going to tell you right now, that dude would need a security team. You saw how he was. You saw how he was at the Paris games when the Pistons and the Bulls were playing against one another mm-hmm. with Magic and whatnot. Man, the NBA already hyping him up enough as it is on the app. You can catch all his games on on the app and whatnot. Like, right? The, the hype is real. I haven't seen as much hype around the prospect like Victor since LeBron and Zion came close. I must admit, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like this. I think you're going to see a lot of teams trying to tank for him in in the weeks to come. But I want to segue away from NBA all-star chatter as we'll be highlighting all of the events to take place in Utah on episodes to come within the next week as it soon approaches to wrap up buyers and sellers a series over the last month where me and Josh have taken the time to assess the state of teams around the league and diagnose whether or not we find them to be buyers in search of vying for the playoffs or sellers looking to play to win for another day down the road as we stand just three days away from the trade deadline as of this recording. Welcome to part four, where the first team we will assess this week in our month-long buyers and sellers segment is the Indiana Pacers. They currently sit with a 25-30 and 30 record and stand just a half game back behind the Washington Wizards for the 10th and final spot in the Eastern Conference play-in picture. 2-8 record through their last 10 games as of this recording. All-star guard Tyrese Halliburton has proven to be everything and more to the Pacers' offense, leading not only as a floor general, but in the scoring department, averaging a team-best 20 points to go alongside a league-leading. 10.3 dimes per contest through 43 games for the franchise in Naptown. While the young guard, Benedict Matherin, as me and Josh discussed earlier, making a strong case of his own to become only the second rookie ever to capture the six-man award, averaging nearly 18 and five per game and under 30 minutes of action in 55 games. Do you believe that the Pacers are buyers or sellers? We know they signed Miles Turner to an extension prior to the conclusion of the trade deadline. So all those rumors have been put to bed on him. Buddy Hill, he still might be available for all we know. What's your thoughts? They're secretly selling <laughs> on both of those players you just mentioned. I think I think Miles Turner is going to eventually get out of there too. Um, because even though Indiana, you know, is embracing this new era of basketball, they understand that the reality is the, the those two players aren't going to, they're not long-term solutions for the current roster that is constructed. And they know that, and they know they can get some value out of those guys for contender, for contending playoff teams that want to contend for a championship. I think they signed miles. So that way, you know, in case that doesn't happen, we can still have a good solid backup. You know, a good solid option for, the big man perspective but I think deep down inside they really want to get rid of him so they can start fresh and giving him a contract the way that they did 
in some cases, especially with the new CBA coming up soon, it's kind of friendly. It's kind of friendly to work with. So I can see a team like the Clippers going after Miles Turner. I can see teams that desperately need some shooting to uh, to hit up Buddy Hill Services um, come, you know, bearing on their playoff expectations right now. I think they're, they're secretly selling. They're just not being completely out there like they was before, saying that, you know, we're, 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 willing, to, we're willing to get rid of these guys. But somebody going to go. I just don't know who and when, but I think somebody going to go. Miles Turner, he signed a two-year, $60 million extension. So he got some brand-new money. And I believe he won't be able to get traded until, like, this offseason or so. So okay. he's kind of he, safe for now. But yeah. I do agree with you. I, I do believe <laughs> that the Miles Turner saga – has not come to a close like some people think. With right. that said, though, they have been linked to Utah's Jared Vanderbilt. That is something to monitor. I think that the Pacers are a seller, but if they buy, they're going to buy cautiously mm. for talent on the wing. Because they need more clarity at the four spot. And I don't really know if they have the assets, though, or not to outbid other suitors for Vanderbilt. But right now, I would say that they're a seller because the way I see their roster is currently constructed. They are set at the guard spot. Mm-hmm. I think Isaiah Jackson may end up being their center of the future once they figure out what it is that they want to do with Miles Turner. And I, I give them credit for doing well by Miles Turner because that was a good faith thing. They didn't have to do it. But I think that only makes them more attractive on the market going down the road. Because one thing about bigs in the NBA it's always a contender to each and every year that's going to be a need of one. Mm-hmm. And if they got to call Indiana up for Miles Turner a year from now and be like, hey, you know, would you be willing to take a couple first rounders or whatever for him? They do it. But I, I, I think right now that the Pacers are a, a seller unless if they get a four with some size and some length that can really help them and kind of serve as an auxiliary valve on the offensive end besides Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin, who really, in my opinion, needs to be starting. So if they want to expedite the process with him, then maybe getting Buddy Hill out of town, a guy who's an elite knockdown catching shooter and has a talent that a lot of these teams crave just as much Hey, that that might be the way to do it. I'm just saying because we, as we've heard about in Utah, Kelly Olynyk is being put up on the block right now, in the wake of what the rookie Walker Kessler has done in his absence prior to him recently coming back just a week ago. But I want to move from Indiana to discuss a team on the opposite side of the country who finds itself in a similar boat standings-wise out west in Portland with the Trailblazers, 
who have a 26 and 27 record, sit only a half a game behind the Utah Jazz for the 10th and final play in spot in the West at the moment. We're talking about them. Damian Lillard's game has proven to age like fine wine out in Portland, averaging a career high mark of 31 points per game while also shooting a career best 47 percent from the floor, all the while leading the Blazers with 7.3 assists per outing and 41 contests, while his running mate in the backcourt and Anthony Simons and Jeremy Grant have contributed to the success of their offense beside the man known as Dollar, as they are both averaging over 20 points per contest in route to career years in the Pacific Northwest. Blazers have posted a 500 mark over their last 10 games with a 5-5 five and five record. Portland ranks 5th in offensive rating and 27th in defensive rating. Should the Blazers look to buy or sell? They're going to buy. I can see them buying because they don't have time to waste. Dame Dollar is, yes, he's getting a slightly older. His age is fine. You know, his like you said, his game is aging fine like wine. But you're trying to get this man to the, to the championship into a deep run in the playoffs. And if you want to get there, your current roster right now ain't going to cut it. It's just not going to cut it. Um, and not to mention, you know, you have question marks with with, with a Jurkic. You know, you don't know what your future's going to be like with him. You need some you need some depth in that big man department. That's for sure. Um, I would try to also get another combo guard that can come off the bench to work with Anthony Simons or Shaden Sharp. That's already uh, currently over there with, with the Trailblazers. So um, they buying. They buying because they really don't have a choice. Otherwise, you're just wasting Damian Lillard in this prime. I think the Blazers in a desperate attempt to try and make this work. They buying. But if it was me, I would sell. I just don't see this team getting too far. I just mm -hmm. don't. I think they had their days. I think they had their time. I know that this is a team that's also been linked to Jerry Vanderbilt, but they are rock stuck in a hard place because in order for them to really make a blockbuster move, it will require them to give up Anthony Simons mm -hmm. or Shaden Sharp. Mm -hmm. And they really can't afford to do that because those two players are going to be crucial to their growth and development, not only besides Dane, but even in the future, should Damian Lillard, no longer have intentions on playing in Portland for the foreseeable future. We know that Dame's a loyal guy. I respect it. But at some point, the Blazers got to start thinking about the future. They do not have a first-round draft pick into 2025. Mm. Yusuf Nurkic is out right now with injury. He's not a serviceable big in this era. I know he provides them with, you know, some size inside, but he's not protecting the paint like he once did ever since he had the knee injuries and, mm -hmm. and so forth. This is a, a franchise that, in my opinion, they need to have a sit-down with Damian Lillard, and they need to ask him, amen. Where do you want to go? We appreciate your loyalty. We appreciate your dedication to this franchise. We will make sure that no player in the history of the Portland Trailblazers ever wears 
the number zero, or as he calls it, the letter O, ever again. But we got to let you go because you deserve to have an opportunity to compete and contend for a world championship. Give us your list of suitors. I know that would be hard for Dame, who has business ventures there and stuff, and he the man in Portland. And, I, and like I said, I commend him. But he's the last star of a dying breed. And at some point, I know he got to realize that this clock is ticking. If it was me, I would sell. But I think they're going to buy because they want to do right by Dane. But either way, I don't see this story ending the way that everybody would hope for it to for the city of Portland as well as for Dame Dollar and his future in Rip City. Well, let's put it this way. Chicago's always open. <laughs> Chicago's always open. You talking about business? Their largest market? I mean, come on. Like, you know, come, <laughs> over, come over to the franchise that MJ built. Come on. Come on. We'll accept you gladly. You must be listening to KG, man, on his pod because he was saying on Showtime that he thinks that the Bulls should, should really he did say express that, interest. He? And yeah. Damian Lillard. And, you know, I never thought of that. And, and it would make for a perfect fit. I don't know if he want to leave the West Coast. I know he got his family in NorCal and in, in an Oakland area. But, yeah, if, if it was a point guard you was going to make a play for, if the Bulls really want to maximize what they have with this core in the Billy Donovan era, yeah, it, it makes sense. But I got to see it to believe it. I just gotta see it to believe it. You know, I agree. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's another star that I think the Bulls should have their 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 eyes on. And we actually about to talk about this team, which is the final team we'll discuss as part of our buyers and sellers segment prior to the trade deadline coming to a close. The Brooklyn Nets, who currently have a thirty-two and twenty record through fifty-two games and sitting fourth place overall in the East, just two games behind Philadelphia for the third spot. All-star forward Kevin Durant has missed the last 12 games for the Nets due to suffering a sprained MCL nearly a month ago. However, Brooklyn's managed to tread water without the two-time NBA champ playing 500 ball over their last 10 games. However, a key cognate behind that success of the Nets in Durant's absence and Kyrie Irving is no longer by his side. His number seven still remains in NYC's most populous borough for now and is set to go about returning to action in a couple of weeks and enough time prior to All-Star Weekend. Prior to us recording, Josh, report came out that surfaced from NBA insider Mark Stein over the last couple of hours in regards to the Nets possibly shopping guard Spencer Dinwiddie with some possible draft capital to acquire point guard Fred Van Vliet out of Toronto as the two sides are said to be in talks with each other prior to Thursday's trade deadline looming at 2 p.m. Central Time. They was also said to be inquiring about Pascal Siakam, but mm -hmm. Toronto has said that he is off limits for now. Are the Nets buyers or sellers? And you know I had to ask you this question because after everything that came to the light with Kyrie, who we discussed earlier in this episode, man, can't help but wonder is Kevin Durant even gonna be a net by Thursday? See, that's that that's the thing. That's the thing. I would like to think because 
when you look at Kevin Durant's track record, he's never really asked for a trade until this past offseason. And he's always been someone that finished what he started. So for the most part, I don't see him leaving now to go to another team for a trade deadline. I don't see it happening. But best believe the offseason is going to come. And as soon as the Brooklyn Nets are out of whatever playoff contention that they're in, Josiah, we need to have a meeting. Player exit meeting? Not, not, not. I want out. Here are my destinations to go. Now you notice. When you talk about Kevin Durant and where he wants to go, we just got done talking about the Bulls. That's the rock, that's a team that he's that's not on his to-go list. But it could be a team that can make some sort of sense. When you talk about what we currently have, especially at the trade deadline, because we have Booch we can ship. We can ship DeMar. He has been a very big advocate uh, fan of the Kobe Whites. He spoke highly of Zach Levine. And it also helps that he's going to almost every press conference in the Chicago White Sox hat. He got he got some type of love for Chicago. And what other pitch could you give him other than you want to make history? Come bring, come bring a franchise back, bring a championship back to the franchise that MJ built, the GOAT himself. Something that no one has ever been able to do. <laughs> You don't think he wouldn't take on that challenge? Or we at least consider it? So so I'm saying all this to say that if I'm broken right now, I really should be looking to sell. Kyrie gone. You have reinforcement that can keep you afloat for now throughout the season. Oh, look to sell. Get as much compensation as you can. Because next year, if you don't trade Kevin Durant right now, you're going to have a sweepstakes. You're going to be up all night listening to trade calls for the star that you was trying to keep here long term. So I think they should sell. Even though right now they're in playoff position, they have a decent amount of talent that can keep them afloat to get them to the playoffs. So I think they should sell, especially with and if they can't get rid of Kevin Durant, know that they can come back. Then when he comes back, he'll keep the team afloat, but... Doesn't hurt to see what else you can get now, because because this whole retooling of the franchise is about to turn into a rebuild by the offseason. So you might as well just start looking at what you can get. What more can you get? Man, when I when I look at the Brooklyn Nets, I agree with you, bro. They should sell, especially anytime you have a deal with the sons in which they proposed to you in which you were offered Chris Paul, Jay Crowder and a first round pick. And you tried to get greedy. Yeah. Then for multiple first round picks. And you knew they weren't going to do that. You knew that priority number one for the Phoenix Suns was to make a splash move in free agency. A team. I mean, not free agency during the trade deadline. And you know, you know they coming. James Jones working on something. I, I, I'm mm-hmm. just gonna add that. But but in regards to the Nets, yeah, they should sell. But I feel like they gonna try and buy because they want to try and make this work so bad. Right. But I feel like the damage is already done. I feel like the writing is already on the wall. And you talk about Kevin Durant 
potentially getting shipped to the Bulls. I'm still trying to figure out what the Bulls are about. You know, Acme, I know a lot of fans wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt after last year, and I got it. But I've been watching them ever since they took this office over from the guard packs regime. I've been watching quietly, and I'm still going to continue to watch quietly because they got some important decisions to make. But as far as the Nets, yeah, I I think they're going to try and buy. But I don't know how you replace Kyrie Irving. I I don't know how you do that. And I can understand not wanting to take on an older Chris Paul. But to me, that was the best deal you was going to get. That was the best deal you was going to get. If you didn't want to take that in an effort to try and compete and vie for a title with Kevin Durant, well, you just wasn't you just wasn't gonna get nothing nothing else. Like cause because most teams not trying to take on Kyrie for matters that pertain to off the court stuff, on top of the fact that they don't know whether or not he's gonna play consistently. Cause that's why it was funny when Kyrie was saying he wanted a four-year max. Yeah, we know his talent warrants a four-year max. We know that. Mm-hmm. But like you gotta play more than 40 games a season to get that. You gotta play at minimum at least 60, 65. So yeah, but 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 yeah, like Nets, I I think the Nets are yeah, they buyers, but they really should be sellers. And if the Suns could come out of you know the deadline before the 25th hour when it's closing time and make them an offer that they can't refuse, like it's the Godfather and it's Don Corleone, then, yeah, maybe they can get Kevin Durant. Because to me, that's the team that people need to watch out for when it comes to Kevin Durant. If he was to get moved before Thursday at 2 p.m. Central time. But that's and it's it's funny you say that because Kevin Durant, when he first made his trade request, the top team that was on his list was the Phoenix Suns. Exactly. Because he wanted to play with Devin Booker and ideally Chris Paul on the other side. You, Brooklyn fumbled the bag if you wanted Kevin Durant to stay here long term and not bring in someone that he actually wants to play with outside of Kyrie Irving. Like, Chris Paul was someone that he said, I want to get traded to play with. Chris Paul with Kevin Durant can get you kind of far. Now, we know CP3 has his limitations. He's not the same CP3 as before. He's getting injured more, etc. We get that. But Chris Paul, even at this rate, on a good playoff team, can get you a little, it can get you kind of far. And putting him with Kevin Durant, who's someone that can really take the load off of Chris Paul in ways Devin Booker did with one uh playing against with playing with Chris Paul. Why wouldn't you not want to consider that deal? Especially since she was going to get a Jay Crowder in the process. Plus a first round pick. I don't I don't get it. I think they really were just looking like, okay, screw you, Kyrie. We're good. And they couldn't, that could be in their own way of saying, no, screw you too, KD, because you put us in the position to choose you two. And we chose both of y'all. Now y'all both want out. Okay, I'm not gonna help neither one of y'all. I'm not gonna bring people you want to play with, Kevin, and I'm also not gonna bring put you in a position where you can go wherever you want to go, Kyrie. 
that could be that could have been their thinking as well because Josiah wasn't having it, and he clearly made that known. So I don't know. This Brooklyn is very interesting uh, when you consider what's taking place, but Brooklyn's clearly doing fine though because Cam Thomas just dropped forty-seven. Oh my goodness! So back-to-back games with yep, forty points or games. more for Cam Thomas. As we speaking right now to you, as of this recording, I guess yeah. it's safe. To, I guess it's safe to say who got that backcourt spot locked up, with Kyrie. <laughs> you know, hey, Cam Thomas say I'm free. So kudos to him. Kudos to Cam Thomas. We, I was just talking about how that's a guy people need to watch out for, and rightfully so. Maybe he's taking it personally that you know Kyrie has left and is doing his best. You know that he can to entice Kevin Durant to stay. But I, I I don't know. But we got to watch out for Phoenix, in my opinion. Yeah. That's a team that you, you got to watch out for because they elevating up in the West after having a real rough month of January and losing guys. And they they making it be known, man, that they willing to let Chris Paul go if it, if it means that they can improve their roster. And I got to give James Jones his credit. If he able to pull it off or any move involving a big-time all-star, we gotta give him his kudos and his love. He, that, he got some balls. That's oh yeah, it. he got some. Balls. But I like the fact I like the fact that he ain't hiding it either because uh-uh. because they they know they know with this current court that they have and with book there and on a max deal after all the stuff he went through through his first several seasons in Phoenix, they know that they got to maximize this season, especially after the way last year ended, following their run to the NBA Finals where they failed two wins short of a title at the hands of the Bucks back in 2021. But I want to move on to the final segment of our show, Top Games to Watch in Week 17 of the NBA calendar. Of course, all of us are going to have our eyes glued in the history, tracking the date. LeBron James finally surpasses the great Kareem atop the NBA's all-time scoring list. He stands only 36 points away from doing so and is going to pass him at some point this week. All the Lakers games will be featured across either TNT or ABC this week. But outside of that, there are a pair of games that stand out the most for me. And I got to start out with Wednesday, February 8th, Dallas in L.A. Going up against the Clippers. The debut of Kyrie Irving with Luka Doncic. How could you not want to watch that? We know what Luka Doncic has done to the Clippers in playoffs past. He hasn't beaten them in the playoffs, but he's giving them the business. And he's made life a living hell for him. Now you got Kyrie besides him. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard's job just got a hell of a lot tougher. Mm-hmm. And you combine that with the fact that you would be able to stagger their minutes with Jason Kidd at the helm. Ain't going to be no drop-off. Ain't going to be no chance to really relax. That should be an interesting game, especially between two teams that are fighting for playoff positioning in the Western Conference as we speak. And then on Sunday, I was prior to the Super Bowl, Memphis at Boston. Ooh, Memphis yeah. Really been struggling lately. They've been really they've been struggling lately. Ever since that Shannon Sharp incident in, in LA, they have not been able to get right. I think they've only won maybe once or twice since. Right. They're taking on a Boston team that is the best in basketball. You want to shut your critics up? You wanna you wanna silence them? Get a big time win on the road. Can John Moran, if healthy, Jaron Jackson, 
if he's able to stay disciplined and out of foul trouble. And Desmond Bain find a way to overcome the dynamic duo of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? Let's find out. Those are all great games, man. And I'm going to keep it with that Memphis vibe because Tuesday. Uh, Actually, no. My bad. Wrong team. I got I'm gonna go with it. <laughs> I'm gonna go with um. I'm gonna go with the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Denver Nuggets, man. I'm gonna go Rudy versus Jokic, Ant Man versus uh Jamal Murray. I gotta see how that plays out, man. I, I Ant Man has been killing this year under under the radar, not getting as much attention he, as he deserves. But I want to see how that big man matches up. You got Jokic, the MVP, going against Defensive Player of the Year. Rudy Gobert, I want to see how those two fare off against one another. That's happening on Tuesday. But the other game, I'm definitely going to check out. And I believe this game is taking place on Friday. Yes, it is. The Minnesota Timberwolves, once again, they are going to play the Memphis Grizzlies. It's oh, first a rematch. round rematch. <laughs> first round rematch. We'll see if the, the Timberwolves will come off in celebration like they just won an NBA championship again. <laughs> Although no Patrick Beverly this time, but it's okay. We'll see how they will see how they're rolling, rolling. And you're talking about how they were struggling. Yeah, they need to beat Boston, but they also need to beat a team that they haven't beaten when the in, 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 in the bright lights. That's the Timberwolves. Let's see how John Moreno's boys fare up against what M Man got cooking up in Minnesota. You know, I'm glad you picked that Denver, Minnesota game because Denver made me mad resting their starters this past weekend against Minnesota when they squared off against one another in the Twin Cities because that was my game to watch for last week, and I was definitely looking forward to it. But then when I saw how they rested every single starter with the exception of Michael Porter Jr., I was like, man, Denver really enjoying life as a number one seed too much for me because they did that <laughs> against Milwaukee when they was about to face Milwaukee. Out on the road, and now you're doing that against Minnesota. Yeah, they they can't they can't duck Minnesota for too long, especially with that being a home game. So I'm glad that you picked that game because that's definitely a game that deserves to be watched for sure. But with that said, I want to thank everybody who took out the time to listen to yet another edition of Open Run presented to you by War Media. We want to thank our guests. James K from the next hoops in the Chicago Tribune for stopping by talking about WNBA related affairs pertaining to the sky as well as free agency and the league as a whole. And to my guy, Josh Hicks, who rocking with me yet once again for another week signing off. So long, everybody.